You're listening to Her Heart Heals Divorce Radio. Hi, I'm Christina Cuevas. Seven years ago, I went through a divorce and it completely turned my world upside down. And I'm so glad it did. I documented my healing to share information with other women going through their own divorce journey. And now, with thousands of downloads around the world from divorced women just like you, I'm here to show you how to ditch the shame around divorce and finally heal so that you can regain the confidence to create your most abundant and joyful future. I'm so glad you're here. This is Her Heart Heals Divorce Radio. If you've gone through divorce, you already know that a life event like this can leave us feeling broken and ashamed. Trust me, I can wholeheartedly relate because this was me just a few years ago. Unfortunately, most divorced women make the big mistake of thinking that time will heal this wound, spending months or years carrying this feeling of failure around everywhere they go numbing their pain, or worse, staying closed off to the idea of love again. And that's just backwards. Does this sound like you? I got you. I created a free masterclass called Divorce from Divorce without feeling like a failure. In this class, you'll discover how to actually move on after divorce so you can finally feel whole and regain your confidence without feeling like you failed. Don't wait. Click the link in the show notes to add your name to the waitlist and be the first to get notified once this class goes live. I won't be offering this for free forever though, so be sure to sign up for this limited offer. See you there. So I wanted to kind of dive in as far as your story and your background. I read it through your bio that, you know, you've been sober for four and a half years, but I wanted to know how you got into specifically helping other women do the same and yeah, what your why is. All right. Yeah. Actually I need to update that bio because it's officially five years. September 29th was my five year sober anniversary. Thank you. My story is really one of early motherhood, mommy wine culture, and being in a state or in a a life phase where I was just really isolated and lonely and um, definitely had undiagnosed postpartum depression. And I ended up using alcohol to cope with it. I ended up using wine. First, it was the crack bottle open, pour one glass, have a glass to celebrate the end of the day making it through, you know, solo parenting, a baby with a dairy allergy and all of the trivial aspects of that. And one glass turned into two and then three and then four. And eventually it became nightly. And eventually it was at least a bottle, sometimes two if more was around. And I really slowly stumbled into this. Like I didn't, I didn't do it on purpose. I didn't no one noticed. It wasn't anything that was outwardly reckless or harmful. I never got a DUI, but I really had started to to build a physical and definitely emotional, psychological dependence on the nightly bottle of wine. And it really started 
affecting my mental health. I mean, obviously I, I kind of came into it with compromised mental health with the postpartum depression that hadn't been caught, which I think now that I've had two kids and have know a lot of moms, like I think that that's really common. I think more women fall through the cracks with postpartum depression than are actually served. And what we know about the way alcohol works is that it also impacts mental health. So I had this like double whammy of my pre-existing mental health challenges with pouring ethanol on my brain every night and really was in a place of just complete despair. I had horrible self-talk. I thought I was a trash human. I had no self-respect. I had started lying to my husband because one of the things we know about that too is that alcohol can compromise your impulse control, your values, the way you you behave. And I just knew I had to stop. I just knew how to stop because my son was two and I still wasn't sleeping. It just felt like if I didn't get a handle on it now, I could, I could picture it. I could see myself like 10 years from then. And I was like, if I don't get a handle on it now, I'm going to be that sloppy mom. Like, have you watched um, Euphoria? Yes. Okay. The mom on Euphoria, what's her name? I don't remember, oh. but like the, the two girls' moms. Yeah. Mom, it's coming. I was back. like, that's going to be me. That's going to be mm. me. I'm going to be the sloppy wine mom on the couch. Like people are going to start noticing. So I knew it was going to go that way eventually. So in 2017, I ended up quitting drinking after um, many day ones and probably about a year of being sober curious and reading books about it and trying to follow people on Instagram who were sober and just learning more about the mechanisms of alcohol on my physical body and how it actually interacts with our neurochemistry and our mental health and our nervous system. And uh, yeah, September 29th, 2017 was the last, well, it was the day that I quit drinking. Um, there's a little story in the middle of all that, but it was something that felt really lonely at the time. Nobody was really talking about sobriety or being sober curious. Sober curious hadn't even been coined as a term yet in 2017. So not a lot of people were talking about it unless you went to AA and that wasn't a fit for me. It wasn't an aligned fit. So I kind of did it by myself. I kind of did it on my own. It was very lonely, um, but we've really gone a long way since then in the way we talk about drinking and the way we talk about sobriety, the millions of different ways people quit drinking and live without alcohol. Uh, so that's kind of the, the cliff notes of that. <laughs> What really kind of came out for me as far as like what in your story was that you had this inner knowing you mentioned kind of this self-talk that you had in the beginning. And I'm curious, like a lot of people really struggle with that because they don't listen to that voice that's in your head, you know, the one mm -hmm. you've got the like the angel in the, in the devil on one shoulder and the other. And sometimes we don't always follow that voice, but that voice was obviously strong enough for you to listen to it. So, I mean, and, and you may not, not know this, but I guess if, if that little voice was saying something to you, what, what was it saying? Do you recall yeah. You know, I like that you say inner knowing, I, I call them heart tugs, like mm. this pull in a direction. 
it's a heart tug. It's pulling you that way. It's saying this, not that. And we have gotten really used to distrusting our heart tugs or not listening to them or bypassing them. And I think I've actually, this is a whole different conversation, but I think that alcohol separates us from our intuition in general because of the way it disconnects us. It numbs us out. It pushes past our boundaries. So for me, it was, it was a heart tug. It was listening to this heart tug that said, this isn't working for me. At the time I didn't identify with the term alcoholic. I still don't. I just say I'm sober. I'm alcohol free, but I knew that I didn't fit in this binary option of this or that alcoholic or somebody who can drink fine. I was in this middle area, which we call gray area drinking now, but I was in this middle space of like this, not this. I I didn't quite know what else, but I knew not this. With alcohol specifically, it's what I tell people is, is to listen to the heart tug. It's really counterculture to be a person who doesn't drink. And we are very socialized to incorporate alcohol into every part of our lives And we still live in a world where we view it as a binary, where we view it as you're a 65-year-old man living under a bridge with a 40 and a paper brown sack, or Mm -hmm. you're somebody who can drink quote unquote normally. And so to understand that even if you don't fit into either one of those, like you can still listen to the, the not this. It was curious whether or not removing alcohol would fix all of my problems. Like I had this intuition that it was the one thing that was creating all the other things, but the primary emotion, the primary thought, the primary like inner knowing I I experienced at the time was just like, not this, not this, Mm. anything but this, because it was so pervasive. Yeah. I, I resonate a lot with your story because that was also me. And I think during the times that I wanted to explore that, I had a lot of my friends saying like, but you're not an alcoholic. Yes. You don't, you don't have a problem. Just like, don't drink the whole bottle. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, and I would just kind of go with it because it is very much this or that. So I've been sober for over six years. Oh, Um, amazing. Well, alcohol free. I do say that too my journey really started when I started to explore generational trauma. Mm-hmm. And when I started to explore generational trauma, I kind of looked back at the way that I was parented and realized that both of my parents really struggled with abusing alcohol. And then I started to kind of go outward from there and say, like, it was so a part of my culture, I'm Hispanic. So at the time I went sober, I was going through a divorce and Mm -hmm. I decided that I wanted to feel my feelings and I did not want to numb out. And what I realized what happens with me when I drink alcohol is that my ego wakes up Mm -hmm. and it's like my ego wakes up and it takes over and I start to kind of speak from this place that's not authentically me. It's just Mm. this scared, broken person that's hiding behind this ego wall. But yeah, that was really kind of my 
my start to exploring was that generational trauma, realizing how much alcohol is pushed on my culture. And of course, everybody else's. And then you start to like realize things in like restaurants where like the menu is bigger (laughs) for the alcohol (laughs) sometimes than it is for the food. And you're just like, oh my gosh. And then you kind of just start to see it. But, you know, did you have any unexpected surprises from this journey that you went on? Oh my God. Like, where do I start? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like removing alcohol was the first time I truly met myself. Mm. And if I think back to the history, I mean, I started drinking casually at, I tried to drink once at 18 in high school. Then I started drinking casually in college, but in my formative years, in my late teens, my entire twenties, almost all entire twenties, I was using a substance that alters my neurochemistry and would create situations where like I would push past discomfort. So if I knew I didn't want to go out or I knew I didn't want to do something. So I was always pushing myself outside of the boundaries of actually who I am with this substance. Mm -hmm. And it was also just allowing me to check out and to not have to pay attention. So, you know, I think we talked about mental health earlier. I truly have like realized that my baseline, I have a baseline of, depression and generalized anxiety disorder. And that is just the baseline serotonin dopamine that's in my brain. And I take medication for that to support that as I um, navigate the world. In in sobriety, I really started to understand that that was my true baseline, that I was using alcohol all the time to deal, to cope with this mental health when I could just, you know, use support and therapy and all the things to actually treat that and care for that. Um, I, oddly enough, today is Tuesday, October 11th. So I, I could share this on this podcast, but probably one of the um, biggest surprises of my entire sobriety is that I came to terms at the age of 30 something that um, I'm actually bisexual, that I was straight my whole life. And Uh, There are actually a lot of people who that happens to, but it really has just been this process of self-discovery of meeting myself for the first time and approaching her curiously instead of trying to fit her into different boxes and to really like push past all of my values and my barriers with a, a chemical substance. Wow. I could not have said it. The way that you said that was just so beautiful and congratulations for just really being able to go into these layers and discover yourself. Like you said, like meeting yourself at all of these places. Um, and it's just such a beautiful journey when you're able to kind of see that with clarity and owing it all, although, although it seems although it seems simple to say, but it's just so complex, just when you can really ditch alcohol and and see that clarity that comes from it. Well, and I I had a conversation with somebody yesterday and I, I asked her, I said, what would you say if I told you that alcohol might be the one thing holding you back from all the other things? Like I think, and like you said, it sounds so simple. It's just a, it's just a beverage. It's just 
liquid we put in a glass, but the way it enmeshes itself in our culture, in our relationships, in our body, it really is completely pervasive. I mean, you're six years sober, so I know you can understand this, but like I credit everything I have now to being sober. I know for certainty I wouldn't be here now in the the world that I live in if I were still drinking. Yeah. Do you feel that it brought you any closer to your relationship with a higher power? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So part of the reason that I didn't resonate with the 12 steps is that at the time I considered myself an atheist. I didn't resonate with this idea of a higher power. I didn't, I I was almost um, counter to that. It, It was something that I pushed away. And that was what I went into sobriety with. And now I would definitely put more of a question mark on Mm -hmm. all of that because back to talking about the inner knowing and the intuition and like serendipity. And there's so many things that I've been able to actually notice and to get curious about and to start to wonder and and put different pieces together and like really create my own worldview that is not a worldview that somebody else told me to have. I would say that like, I now have some iteration of a higher power. I don't really know how to describe it yet. It's still a question mark, but I couldn't have done that without sobriety. I was very like, when I was drinking, I was very static. I was very like, I am here. This is who I am. I'm going to sit on this couch corner. I'm going to drink a bottle of wine every night. And that's enough. And when you take that away, when you take the nightly bottle of wine away, you realize you got a lot more time. You got a lot more time and a lot more space and a lot more mental capacity to really start to say, actually, let me take a look at all these different parts of my life. Let me take a look at like what my actual beliefs are and see if those still ring true now that I'm returning to myself. So that's a very interesting question. I don't know if anyone's asked me that one before. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, sorry. That actually wasn't planned. I didn't have that written down or like anything it. like that, but it just came up and yeah, no, I think for me, and the reason why I ask, I've just kind of, I come from a family that has a very religious background and I really kind of clung to that faith as I was going through both mm-hmm. my journey in sobriety and my divorce kind of simultaneously. That was really like the pillar that I hung on to. But over time, as I began to have those curiosities and kind of how you were sharing just like these moments of this extra time and the wonder, I love that word so much, um, but just being able to like go outside and realize that there's this whole other world happening out in nature where the world will carry on with or without me, the world still turns, you know, we still have seasons. And so just kind of like opening up my wonder and awe to like something bigger than myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just wanted to ask. Yeah, no, I think it's, I, I love the word wonder too. And I think that, you know, all of these things that I've, I am not, it's funny, my, my husband, and I know this is a podcast to talk about divorce and seasons like that. But my husband and I have been married almost 10 years. And he says, he's like, you're so not the person I married. (laughs) And I'm not at all. And we're fortunate to have grown up together and, and evolved together. But I, 
I don't even recognize the person I was seven years ago, eight years ago. And it's all because I allowed myself the space to, to get curious, to have that wonder, to try new things. Yeah. That's actually, you bring up a good point about like not knowing yourself. And that's a lot of what my clients experience as well when they go through a divorce and sort of that transition. And after that healing journey, um, you know, we can look back and say like, my gosh, I don't even know who that person was when I was in this marriage. So with that being said, I know we've talked a lot about like the the challenges and the surprises that we've faced, but when it comes to working with clients, do you find that a lot of their challenges are it's like, it's pretty similar across the board? Yeah. So I, I realized I forgot to answer your first question about how I got into working with, with women. <laughs> That's okay. My background's actually in clinical therapy and it really was talking about serendipity, just kind of an aligning of the stars and everything fell into place and people started asking me for help and showing up in my DMs. And I, I first started sharing my story on Instagram and then people kind of started showing up and it just really organically happened because it's this like beautiful combination of my clinical background, but with my lived experience, because I really, I don't think that either side can see it well enough. You can be a clinician, but if you don't have the addiction background, you don't have the recovery background, you, you can't be in it. And if you are in recovery, if you've gone through the addiction, you may not have the clinical skills to, to do this. So it really has been like this beautiful conglomeration of my skills and my lived experience. So I've been working with women for about two years now, and I work in private and group settings. And what I've seen and what I like to tell them is there's nothing new under the sun. Anything that you're experiencing, anything that you're feeling, anything that you're doing, how much you're drinking, what you're doing, behaviors you're doing while you're drinking is not new. There's a million people out there going through the exact same thing. I went through the exact same thing five years ago. And I say that, that there's nothing new under the sun. Like I want that to be a balm for people. I want that to be a comfort to know that this is common this is something that is a um, textbook. Like we can see the same roadblocks that people run into. We can see the same triggers. We can see the same origin stories. And what we also know is that people have gone through those and come out the other side. So when I tell people this, this is not new. Like you can't surprise me. There's nothing you could tell me that would shock me. And I want you to know that We've seen people go through this before. We've seen people go through the experiences you're having and then come out on the other side, sober, happy, thriving. And, and to me, that's really hopeful because if somebody else has done it, maybe I can do it too. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, as they're going through an experience of becoming sober and you start to have... And I don't know that this is the right word, so correct me if I'm wrong, but just kind of those withdrawal symptoms or like mm -hmm. the fiending and in those moments. Now, there are some people who have like just this incredible willpower. They're good, mind over matter. They can power through it. But for the people who 
really don't have that support or feel like they have the willpower to kind of make it through that moment, is there anything that you can recommend for people to lean on during those times? Yeah, absolutely. And you're correct. It is withdrawal symptoms. Even if we are using alcohol, like you could be drinking one glass of wine a night pretty regularly, and you could still have withdrawal symptoms from that one glass. Your body is getting physically adapted to that single glass. So it then begins to expect it. And when we don't have that, when we don't input the substance, we still experience that mini withdrawal on the other side. And in any, any time you have a hangover, all it is, is an acute withdrawal. Like your body is detoxing. It's withdrawing from the alcohol in its system. So I think withdrawal can be a word that people can be resistant to and yeah. say, oh, that's not me. I'm not going through withdrawals. You yeah. don't have to have DTs, del- delirium tremens to like experience withdrawal. And one of the things that we talk about in this space, and I think is really important for people to know is that any habitual alcohol use, any regular alcohol use may result in what we call pause, P-A-W-S, which stands for post-acute withdrawal syndrome. When we experience pause, the primary symptoms of that are immense fatigue and anhedonia, which is an inability to feel pleasure. What happens when we quit drinking is that we become dopamine deficient. Dopamine is a neurochemical in our brain. It's the pleasure chemical. It's the thing that makes us feel good. So many people are dopamine deficient when they quit drinking. Your body readjusts after some time, but it feels really bad when you're first doing it. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you brought up willpower because it's my personal belief that willpower is a myth. I don't think that it, it doesn't account for our physiology. It doesn't account for the way alcohol actually works with our bodies and the way our bodies are built and our brains are built to use this substance as, as they do. I mean, if we, we take a step back and we think about what alcohol is, it's a neurotoxin. It's something that calms our central nervous system. It's also something that gives our brain a lot of those feel good chemicals. So if we think back to like caveman brain, like the brain that we were first created with, that is only looking out for survival. It wants the things that make it feel good. It wants the things that keep it alive, help it survive. And so physiologically, alcohol makes a lot of sense for us to drink. It is something that really checks all those boxes. Our brain starts to learn that and say, oh, I'm going to keep doing that. That felt good. That's that's assuring (laughs) my survival. Like I'm going to keep doing that. And so when we try to stick something like willpower on top of centuries of neurochemistry, part of the history of addiction, alcohol use, the way we treat it in the United States is that pretty much prior to like the 1950s, maybe the 1920s, we really understood alcohol as a moral failing. If you were somebody who couldn't Mm -hmm. quote unquote, can't drink, we just thought you were a bad person or you were like possessed or all those crazy things that they used to say. And then in the fifties, we started treating it medically and we started to shift away from that language, shift away from kind of this moral failing language. And it's my opinion that willpower is a remnant of that. It is something that is stuck in an old story about how we thought alcohol and addiction and drugs were intertwined in our our society, but really it's it's much more chemistry than that. So mm-hmm. the the next question is like, if not willpower, then what? For me, a really tangible thing that I want people to use is sober Instagram. 
there's a vibrant sober community on Instagram. It's really warm. It's really welcoming. The sober communities on other social platforms are not my favorite, but sober Instagram is really, really, really beautiful. Start at something like soberish, a thousand hours dry. There are a bunch of different accounts that are community accounts that really get you plugged into all of the sober people in the world. And sober it, stories is a good one. Oh yes. Sober <laughs> stories is a good one. Thank you. And I think one of the things that this is, this is kind of a twofold thing. This is something that plugs you into community. And I think community is, I mean, my, my overall answer is community. That's, that's the thing that you lean on in those early days. So this plugs you into a community, but it also starts to change the way our brain perceives sobriety because we start to see more people who are opting out, who are choosing not to drink, who don't drink, living these vibrant, beautiful lives, people that look like us, people whose story we can resonate with and see ourselves in. And so that really starts to shift away from this, like, oh, everybody drinks. I'm the odd man out if I don't drink, that kind of thought pattern. So my first answer is community. And then my second answer is like, since it's not willpower, since it's not willpower because of the way our bodies work, that means we have to really care for our bodies. So as much rest as possible, eating nutritious food that's going to fuel you, like taking your stress level down as much as you can, saying no to whatever you can, really caring for your physical body and knowing that those first weeks, months, maybe depending on usage is going to be a time of like coming into yourself and returning to yourself and just really taking really good care of yourself. Yeah. I love that answer. Oh my gosh. So one of the questions that came up when you were speaking was your views on sort of this fun drink mocktail. There's a lot of like fun alcohol-free drinks out there. Do you feel that that is part of like contributing to that sort of society to where you're like almost like faking it with like the hand, like the glass, like you're still trying to like be a part of the culture. How do you feel about that? And do you participate in any fun mocktails? Yeah, I think that's a great question because we've seen a complete social revolution in the last five years. Mm-hmm. Again, I quit drinking in 2017 and the book Sober Curious by Ruby Warrington hadn't even been published. The word didn't exist. And so when I quit drinking, all you could drink was like O'Doul's, which we all know is awful. <laughs> Since then, we've really started to see the non-alcoholic beverage industry is bonkers. It is like, get in now all you can, y'all, because it is crazy how many new beverages are coming out all the time. I get brands all the time that are popping in my inbox saying that they are releasing something new. Those are both drinks that mimic alcoholic drinks. So like NA beers or NA wines, um, NA spirits, but then there are also a lot of non-alcoholic beverages that are intentionally not a dupe of an alcoholic beverage. My answer to that question is like, I want you to do whatever serves you. What works for me doesn't have to work for somebody else. And, and I see it about 50, 50 down the line of people who love having non-alcoholic options, love having a fancy can to hold at a party, love feeling included, love having something that's celebratory. And like, to be fair, these drinks are very expensive. So you're still feeling like you're splurging. Mm -hmm. And then there are people who don't touch it, don't mess with it because it feels too close to the real thing. It feels like a slippery slope. It feels like that's inauthentic to them. And so I really truly just want 
people to do whatever feels good for them. And I caution people in early days, if they're newly sober, if they're trying this out, when they're trying something like an NA beer, some of the NA beers taste exactly like an alcoholic beer. And so I caution people in the early days to say like, know that this may be triggering for you. This may want you actually just to want the real thing instead. So be aware of that. But some people also, it helps them quit the real thing because they feel like they have a really good replacement. And it's really cool to see like the different ways people are doing this. And what one of the Instagram accounts I mentioned is run by my friend Kayla Lyons and it's called Join Soberish. Soberish is the name of the community. And it's really starting to celebrate like the different ways that we all do this and the, that it's okay that some of us drink NA drinks and some of us don't. I personally love them. I've got like a full bar cart full of NA beverages and <laughs> spirits and all sorts of things. Okay, cool. I, I'm totally drawing a blank right now, but there's one and I have been dying to try it. It's like a, is it kin? Mm-hmm. Drink kin- kinship? Yep. Um, it's Kin Euphorics. Uh, their orange can is really good. I can't remember what it's called, but yeah, Bella Hadid just came on as a, an um, investor, right? Yeah. As like, like a founder of it. She wasn't the original founder, but she came on as Mm -mm. a founder. So it's funny to see um, a lot of celebrities jumping on the NA beverage industry as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited about it. And like you, when the term sober curious came out, I was just like, okay, that's, Mm -hmm. That is a really cool label that I can start to use because that was kind of around the same time as my transition to use. I'm super passionate about this because for me, it's an access thing. I want there to be more doors open to people to get curious about their relationship with alcohol and the more labels, doors, stories, ways of doing this options for being sober that we can create, the more that invites other people in. Because when it was that binary, when it was, you're either a person who can drink or you're an alcoholic under a bridge, like that's not a lot of access points for people. So the more we can expand our language, the more we can create more doors for people. I think the better off we all are collectively because we just have a lot more healed people. Yeah. Oh my gosh, for sure. Could not agree more. And I think One thing that I wanted to say was that in my journey, I have found that yes, initially it was a little bit difficult to feel that I could coexist with my girlfriends going out where I'm like, I'm still fun. I can still be fun and not be, you know, under the influence of alcohol. I mean, do you agree? (laughs) We can totally coexist and and we're still, we're still fun. We're just as human as, you know, everybody else. And I, I love that the community is just growing and that there's so many more avenues and, and, you know, these mocktails and, and all of these other avenues where we can still feel like we're part of the party because we deserve to be there too. Totally. I mean, I think I have more fun. I am more fun. I'm funnier without alcohol. One of my favorite things to do is go see live music. And I was always drunk. I was always drunk at a concert. And the first sober concert I went to, I like cried because I was so overwhelmed by how much joy I felt. Because also, if you think about numbing out your emotions, you're numbing out the good stuff too. Without alcohol, it allows me to be my full authentic self and to really be who I am. And 
feel all of those feelings completely, feel all the good, feel all the bad, of course, but understanding that like the connection that I'm having with people that I'm out with, it's like the connection is deeper. I'm feeling things more thoroughly. There's more space. And it also gives me the ability to really understand what is for me and what isn't for me. So like, I don't go to a crowded bar, crowded smoky bar. You'll never find me there, but I love to go to like a dance club, like love a dance club. So it's given me the opportunity to really say like, this is what's fun for me. And this is what feels really good. And I'll catch y'all on the next one for the, for the things that don't feel good. And I think with girlfriends too, it's useful when you can be honest and you can kind of lay out the game plan. I just went on a trip to Mexico with my four best friends and we live all over the country. So we only get to see each other like every four years or something crazy like that, especially after COVID. We went to Mexico and one of my best friends asked me, she's like, can you just, what are the rules? What, what helps you? What serves you? And I was like, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> like I'm, I'm almost five years sober. Like I can be around it. It doesn't bother me. But to be able to say to a dear friend or to your girlfriend, say like, I'm totally fine if y'all drink shots, make me uncomfortable, or I don't really like playing drinking games. Cause those make me feel triggered. Being really clear about what works for you and what doesn't just kind of clears the air and kind of makes it less of a question mark for everyone you're spending time with. Yeah. Thank you for that. That I think that is at least when I talk to other women about their curiosity and they're trying to kind of see what their future would look like and play it out and like almost kind of rehearsing. I know I did that in the beginning was like, I would rehearse my responses of (laughs) when people ask like, why aren't you drinking? What's going on? You know? So that was really helpful. I really, really appreciate your time. And just to kind of wrap up, is there anything that you're currently offering and how can people work with you? Yeah. Thank you so much for asking. My signature program, the booze breakup is created for women who are looking to quit drinking and don't fit into kind of the traditional AA 12 step boxes. It's a kind of self-paced community hybrid. So you get the community, you also get the curriculum, had almost 60 women go through that program at this point. So that's really my favorite offering. It's, it's always available. I do also take one-on-one clients right now. I do believe I have one more opening through the end of the year. So the easiest way to find me is really on Instagram at Beth Bowen underscore. Fabulous. And I will be adding links in the show notes to all of Beth's offerings where you can find her on Instagram. Beth, thank you so much. Thank you, Christina. This has been so fun. Want to learn more? I'm going to add a link in the show notes to the website, herheartheals.com. And there you can access all of my helpful tips, the blogs on there, and schedule a session with me. Are you on Instagram? I'd love to connect. You can follow me and my handle is at herheartheals. Hope to connect with you soon. Hey listeners, Christina here. If you haven't figured it out by now, going through divorce can be the catalyst to the life of your dreams, where you can find the most authentic version of yourself and become financially free in the process. Think about it. 
What else allows you to build the foundation to a life that you love and then continuing to reap the benefits as in being confident in who you are, feeling secure in your life, and then attracting things that complement your already amazing life and never losing sight of that. The problem is if you don't have the right strategy for rebuilding a life greater than you've ever known before, it can be a lot of work with little results, but not at her heart heels. This free training that kicks off next week shows you a radically different approach to designing building, and living a wildly abundant life where you see results from the get-go. Plus, you're going to get my exact proven strategies that are getting results for my clients right now. This is the free training if you're in the middle of divorce or several years out of divorce. This is the training that's going to change everything for you. So all you need to do is head over to the link in the show notes and join the priority list right now. Once you do that, there's a ton of additional training and a limited time bonus that's going to blow your mind. You don't even have to pause this episode, go to the show notes and click on the masterclass link. And thanks so much. We'll see you next week, if not sooner.